When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. You have joined in an episode that's going to be a lot of controversy, I already know. So there's going to be a lot of lot of great discussion. So we're glad you're here. Um, if you like what you're hearing, uh, be sure to subscribe, like, leave a review, whatever platform you're listening on. We really, really appreciate that. I'm going to help the algorithms get us exposed to more people who want to Learn what good music is. If you want to get in on the conversation, um, we have a Facebook and Instagram page at Good Music Podcast. You can suggest whatever artist you would like us to talk about. And we also have announcements and things about the podcast and what episodes are coming up and little giveaways. We've done that in the past. We might do that again. So you'll definitely want to follow us when we start that up again. Um, But if you really, really love good music you want that exclusive content that early access to the episodes down the description there is a link to our patreon page for just a few bucks a month you can support the podcast and we would really appreciate that and you get some nice early access and exclusive content and without further ado well not without further ado we talked about mozart last week right we talked about uh did another installment in our music history spinoff series so yes. those of you who listen to that notice that we, uh, I said, ooh, I'm going to watch Amadeus the movie. Well, I didn't watch the whole movie, but I did see some of the scenes. And one of the scenes that Lucas sent me right after we finished um, uh, recording the episode, right, texted me this YouTube link. And it was not at all what I expected. The movie was not all what I expected. It's, it looked very com- comedic. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like a historical. No, it's like. As far as like, you know, obviously, if it was going to be historically accurate, they'd be speaking different languages and even really attempt to have like accents. And yeah. it's it's very much kind of through a modern lens, but it is still remarkably historic as far as the set design and the costumes and as well as just all of the music. And like they, you know, they obviously knew what they were doing. Um, but yeah, they, um, it is a drama. It's, it is meant to be a bit more lighthearted, but there's also some really tense, serious moments. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, for a movie. it's, it's, it's a brilliant movie. It's, it's not 
a bio because it's not really a biopic. It's really a a look into um, jealousy and creative um, creative struggle and dealing with how do you be in awe with someone and hate them at the same time. Wow! Yeah, it's it's, it's a gr- it's a great look into just genius and artistry. Yeah, and about who so. gets, who has it and who doesn't. So hopefully some of our listeners watched that movie, maybe not, maybe saw a couple scenes um, and joined us for that episode. But we are returning back to the modern era. We're returning to a a hot button band with this uh, duo that's bringing you this podcast. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about Journey. Yes. So those of you that um, follow the Good Music Podcast, you know that... um, Grant has said some unflattering things about Journey. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the exact thing that happened, but it was in the Judas Priest episode. And and you just straight up said, oh, well, I thought we were talking about good music. And that's when I literally, in that moment, that's when I made up my mind, okay, I have a, I have a mission now. <laughs> it's time, yeah. It's time to wrong or right. Okay. Or okay. right or wrong. Okay. Well, I guess that goes right into first thoughts. So go ahead, Grant. Um, let me explain myself. I at one point liked some journey songs. I thought they were kind of cool. And then I heard the bad cover of, um, don't stop believing, you know, for the 80 millionth time by, you know, your local cover band. Yeah, yeah, and after that, I just was like, "This, this is insane. This is too much. I don't, I don't like this." Like even the, even the real version itself. Every time it comes on, I'm just, I don't, doesn't get me. You know, I don't think that'll ever change that song in particular. Um, I will like when it comes on, uh, in some you know, party or whatever, or somebody plays it over what kind of speakers or stereo, I will walk out of the room because I just, I can't, I can't take it. It just, it annoys me. But here's the weird thing, and I can't explain this, but that song is so fun to play. It's like completely different when you're playing it. I, I'm not saying this makes any sense. I'm just saying this is the way it is. That's because it's a good song. I, what? Okay, well, okay. But, so in high school, uh, me and a couple guys got together, did this cover band for our quote-unquote lack of talent show. Um, that was literally the name of the of the thing. And <laughs> the, the musicians in us, we were like, oh, let's play Carry On My Wayward Son, because there's some cool solos and nice riffs in there, and and, uh, you know, the audience knows the chorus, right? And then a couple of them were like, we got to do Don't Stop Believing." Like, the crowd would be so hype and whatever. And so I was like, yeah, it's fun to play. I'll do it. I'll change the soul a little bit to, to put some Eddie Van Halen in there and whatever. And so we got up stage, uh, played Carry On My Wayward Son. Everybody was completely aloof during the verses. And then when the chorus came on, it was just you know, couldn't hear the instruments because everybody knew the words, right? And then we played Don't Stop Believing," and it was just completely bring the house down type of feeling. And I've never got that feeling before, and I don't think I've ever gotten that feeling since. 
And so, I don't know. That song is a is a very I have a very weird relationship with that song because I have one of the <laughs> best musical memories because of that song, and it every time I hear it, I just hate my ears. It's weird, hmm. but I've I've been. I mean, that's not to say that I haven't been trained to not like Journey. There is a little bit of that. My dad doesn't yeah. like Journey at all. That's, so that surprised me. You you have to you have to attribute a little bit to that. Um, and they just they're just a little overplayed, maybe you could say. Um, at least the big hits. Now, I was surprised on on some of the songs in this episode that maybe I had heard the title, but I never listened to the song. I'm like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Um, and I like five of these songs I've never actually listened to. So it's not to say that I knew everything about Journey and I hate them, but my gut reaction before this episode would have been like a two or a three because they were the they were the butt of every joke. If I couldn't turn it into a Limp biscuit or a Nickelback joke, it would be a Journey joke. But at the same time, I can't completely throw them all the way down to the one position because, you know, that, that memory of Don't Stop Believing is something. That's, that's worth something. It's keeping it afloat. It's keeping it up there. And you, you have to recognize that there's some talent as well. Like, maybe I just really hate their songs, but there's some talent at least, you know, technically speaking. So that would be my starting point. Not a great starting point. I get it. But Lucas has a lot to work with here. Yes, You've I You've got did. your work cut out for you. And Here's I know the thing. you start in a very high position. Yes. I, I would not be doing this if I felt like I didn't understand the situation. Because right. I'm not going to – I know that I would not – attempt to try and sway you with a band that would feel like a lost cause. Right. I feel like, I feel like I know you pretty well at this point and I understand why you like and dislike certain things. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, I felt like I, un- that you have probably heard two or three journey songs 50 million times because journey, some certain songs and I will completely agree that Don't Stop Believing has probably finally upstaged Free Bird and Stairway to Heaven as the most overplayed song in rock history. You can't overplay Free Bird. Take that back. Well, but that was always <laughs> one of the jokes is that it's like ev- right, everyone right. plays Free Bird. Everyone right, plays right. like it's Don't Stop Believing has kind of usurped that title. And that's really something that's only happened in probably like the last 10 to 15 years. Because it was a big hit when it came out, but it was not their biggest hit. I would say probably oh. not even close. Oh. It's just one of those songs that's kind of grown over the years into becoming their defining song. Mm-hmm. But abs- I will 100% agree with you that it is overplayed. And to me, that's sad because it is a great song. It's an incredibly well-written song that has made people turn against journey unfortunately because it's just it gets played literally everywhere every band plays it it's it's like there's like a rule on rock stations that they have to play it once an hour and (laughs) it's in every commercial every movie it's it's just it's it is what it is 
I am still able to keep that separate in my brain to not let it spoil the song for me, but I do understand. And, you know, songs like uh, Open Arms and Faithfully, they're great songs, but they are played so often. And because of that, I know that a lot of people have this certain vision of what Journey is, which is a power ballad, weak rock group. That, And this is something that ever since Steve Perry joined the band that they've been fighting against. I mean, when they were in their heyday in the early 80s, all the critics hated them because they called them corporate rock. <laughs> that they sold their souls to get hits. I mean, this it's not it's not anything new. But thing is, though, is that they had a buttload of fans. They sold seventy million records. Oh, that is that is no small feat. Mm-hmm. You don't get that just by trying to be big. You get that way because you write great songs. So, my starting position is at a pretty strong eight. Um, I always love to tell the story about the iPod that my dad gave me, um, where he gave me an iPod of all of his favorite music. And he said, I I don't want you to listen to anything but this for a couple months and you'll thank me for it later. Um, I always talk about how there were kind of three bands in particular that I were like my first, the first things that I went towards. Um, Genesis slash Phil Collins I kind of lumped those two together because I, in my brain during that time I kind of viewed it as the same thing um, Coldplay and Journey mm-hmm. uh, I developed a very close strong relationship to Journey very early in my musical um, journey <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have been, I've been on the journey camp for a long time, but I also had a, my dad gave me a fairly deep catalog of journey songs. So I didn't just have the big hits. He also had his favorite deep cuts on there and some stuff that really is underappreciated. Um, I mean, they are a true bonafide rock and roll group. They, I think, are one. They are up there in the great rock groups, great mm. bands in general. I mean, I was putting together their ranked playlist. Looking at their top 25, I'm just like, good Lord, this is a lethal list. <laughs> That's always they, good. They've got top, top 20 hits that were outside of the top 20 on my list. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They... The tragic thing about Journey is they never got a number one hit, but they got so close so many times. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of great bands never had a number one hit. Yeah. Plenty but, of those podcasts. I mean, it's kind of insane, though, that Journey is one of those bands that it feels like it would have been perfect for them to get one. Right. But, yeah. man, do they have a ton. You could You could have an entire CD of just top 20 hits. Mm-hmm. and it's just it's amazing the the surge of creativity they had from about 78 to 86 i think i think it's one of the best 
and they they truly are much more than their ballads even and i also think that they're those are some of the best rock ballads ever made but again that's just that's the only thing people tend to see and i feel like that this is a this is something that needs to be corrected not not just specifically with you but i feel like in general that's the thing that people always go to they just see them as the don't stop believing band and there's so much more than that man i hope otherwise this is going to be a very long episode <laughs> So let's let's t- and this is by the way our second journey episode, but I'm kind of going to treat it a little bit like a first episode. Although there's going to be much more to it than what we talked about in the first episode. Right. Um. First off, we need to talk about uh, Neil Sean, who is the guitar player for Journey. He is its founding member. He is its its lone recurring member. He's the only person that's been on everything that Journey has ever made. He is the heart and soul of Journey. He's the guy that when he decides that Journey's done, it's done and there's never going to be a coming back from it. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Sean actually got his start as Santana's guitar player. Oh. And played played on the first record like when he was 15. Oh. That's impressive so like all the big early 70s santana hits neil sean's on them as a kid pretty much that's awesome as as well as their original lead vocalist and keyboardist greg raleigh man and that's kind of where journey started was greg and neil teaming up and going hey i don't want to play latin music anymore i'll play rock and roll and so they're like let's make our own band it just so worked out for him yeah, it sure did. It took them a little while to get there because they formed in 73 and they didn't really start to get any hits until 78. Um, you've got Ross Valerie on bass who has played on just about everything. There was a brief stint in the late 80s where he was uh, fired from the band, but he's ever since he came back in the mid-90s, he's been with them ever since. Um, you've got two major drummers, two of probably among the all-time great drummers and not just in rock but in general you've got Ainsley Dunbar who played on the first five records then you got Steve Smith who is like one of he's kind of like elevated to become like Terry Bozio level like someone that can literally just go around and do clinics and play in like jazz fusion groups (laughs) and he played he played on all the big 80s records and so he's he's an incredible drummer. So they they were blessed with two of the greatest drummers. They Neil Sean, I will say, without a doubt, is one of the greatest rock guitarists of all time. He's got a good tone. I'll give him that. And he's, he's an inc- he's an incredible. Well, and his I think his guitar tone is what like that's where my ear went to. Yeah, because you can have a lot of great soloists that just don't understand tone. I mean, he, Randy Rhodes, right? Yeah, he he is often one of the people that um, that they'll go to as far as like who who had the best tone in rock. That was one of the trademarks of the Journey sound. It's what the thing is. No matter what lead singer they had, the thing that always made Journey Journey was the sound of Neil's guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we, 
And then we've got uh, we've got the keyboard players. So, like I said earlier, the original keyboarder uh, was Greg Raleigh, mm-hmm. uh, but when he left in '80, they got Jonathan Kane. And Jonathan Kane is really who helped take Journey to that mega stardom level when he started writing. He's pretty much he's the mastermind behind Don't Stop Believing and Open Arms and Faithfully and Separate Ways and all the huge mega songs. So he's the reason why Journey's bad. No, he's the reason why Journey is incredible. I mean, you want to you want to talk about a natural born songwriter, someone who literally those great songs, he just like figured out in five minutes. Okay, that's actually kind of impressive. Yeah, he he said he would literally just be like sitting in his room with his piano and like all of a sudden the whole thing would just come to him. And he'd be like, hey, Steve, come check this out. And they would like work on it and they'd say like in 30 minutes, the song would be pretty much done. That's awesome. And then, of course, you've got Steve Perry, who is the great, great vocalist. I mean, what a freaking voice. What a range. Yeah. It's just, it's it's absolutely incredible. I've got a pretty high voice. I cannot last long in a journey set. It is (laughs) it is some of the most demanding music you could ever attempt to sing. Yeah, he's got kind of that Sammy Hagar tone to it as well, but it's yeah. so pure. It's and it's it. not just the range, but he has an incredible soulfulness to his voice. Oh, that's true. It's not just that he has a high voice, he knows how to use it. And just the way that he's singing to where he can put so much emotion into what he's delivering. It's 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 hard just to match the note without even having to consider emoting through it, which just means that it was effortless for him to sing in that range, mm-hmm. which makes me mad because like anytime I sing a Journey song, I have to concentrate hard to keep up with it. And you can just tell like the way that he's moving between all those high notes. He's just like, it's just it's nothing for him. And I've also watched them live, and he, like, does not struggle up on stage. He's just, like, singing these songs as if it was his mid-range. And I'm just like, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> How do you make it look and sound so easy? hmm Man. So, um, but like I said also, um, he was not the original lead vocalist. He didn't join until their fifth record. Oh, and wow. I would I would say that it's one of the greatest um, lead vocalist switches ever because that's always one of the toughest things to do. Right, right. I would say between that and switching lead guitar players, those are the two hardest positions to try and switch. It's even harder to get bigger after you make that switch. Mm. And Journey certainly did. I mean, it, it ranks up there with Brian Johnson joining ACC, David Gilmore joining Pink Floyd. So, so was it was it like an ACDC type situation where they went from one great guy to another great guy, or was it like no. Anthrax? No, well, the first Anthrax guy. Um, no, because when Steve joined, Greg didn't leave. He was still in the band for two more albums or three more albums. What, what do you mean? 
So, because he, because he was still the keyboard player. Oh, right, right, right. Duh. What am I? He <laughs> and he would still sing lead from time to time, and him and Perry would just share would share lead on a couple songs per album. But That's there wouldn't be there wouldn't be any songs that Raleigh would get to have full lead on. Steve sung on every song, but mm. they would they would do some co lead. And so yeah, he it was it was definitely something to where it wasn't this like complete replacement. Because the whole reason they got Steve was because they knew that they needed a pure frontman, someone that could run around on the stage and engage the audience and not be trapped behind an instrument. Good because point. none of the none of the journey guys had that charisma and natural frontman leadership. Right. They were essentially like a hard rock jam band, their first three records. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to, like, see what the natural progression from, like, Jimi Hendrix and Cream was, it would be Early Journey. I Like, I already know that when we come back to Journey, that's what is those first three records because it's it's astoundingly different from the rest of their material like there's seven and eight minute songs big instrumentals long jam sections stuff in weird time characters and oh yeah and and just weird weird and experimental and it's really really cool um i would say one of the biggest things that i've gained from this research is that i've come to appreciate a lot more of the early journey stuff oh that's right because you got to listen to everything for the for the right uh, yeah so because the first time that i did it i was i kind of dismissed the first era of journey mm-hmm. and i think i'd say that in the episode but now i'm just like man i kind of want to go back to it it's <laughs> The only, literally the only thing that's wrong with it is just that the vocals are not near as good as they should be. And that's just because, you know, that's just, Greg Raleigh was never a pure singer. Although the crazy thing is, is that Greg is the guy that sings Santana's Black Magic Woman. No, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So it's just like, these guys are the real deal. Uh, Ainsley Ainsley Dunbar is a monster drummer. He's doing stuff. I'm just like I'm not even close to the level of being able to pull that off. Um, mm-hmm. Like they are a band, and you really get this on those first three records. They're a band that seriously knows how to play. Mm-hmm. They are they are not just like kind of working class. Like oh, I can play just good enough to play some simple arena rock. Like these are guys. And, and really when you like, like when you listen to Neil Sean's guitar solos, he shreds, but he also is so smart in the way that he constructs his solos that they're very melodic. They always have this narrative flow to them. Yet also like they're they're much more difficult than they initially appear to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean and and it's not he's not throwing a million notes at you, but he's a, he's faster than Gilmore, you know. 
Yeah. And you would say you would say the same thing about like David Gilmore. He's not throwing a million notes at you. He's being very economic about mm-hmm. what you're hearing. And I think that's very important because that that time when you're picking that note, that's there's no sound when you're picking a picking a note. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you let something ring out, especially like something like uh, the song, or I guess the little outro section for the first, where he plays that uh, lead guitar line. And yeah, it's pretty much like three notes or four notes on the measure, mm-hmm. and that's it. And then he does a little flurry and whatever, and he goes back to it. It's like that's that's so so simple, and it can show that he can slow down and speed up, kind of like on a dime. So that's that's really cool. It's very seamless. I'll give you that. That is that is quite impressive. I just, in my opinion, if you're going to be a guitar player, you got to study Neil Sean at some point. Um, one of the classic journey song structures is to end with what I call the Neil Sean special, which is the fade out guitar solo. I would say no other band has, has pulled it off better than journey has. There's so many songs where, like, that's the the feature is that once you get past that that second chorus, it's it's Sean time, <laughs> where he's just the whole second half of the song is just him doing this massive guitar solo, and it and it all and it's always awesome. Man, I would hope. Otherwise, that'd be a tough discography to listen to. Yeah, I'm. Um, <laughs> he he knows how to do it. Um, so like I said, they, they did their first three records as a four piece Mm -hmm. and then they just, as they got a huge underground following label was saying, guys, you're, you're not giving us hits. Like they hadn't had a single charting single yet. And so that's when they were like, okay, fine. We'll go find a, a, a lead vocalist because we're going broke. And that's when they found Steve Perry. And pretty instantly, that next record, um, they they started getting into the... They didn't get, like, huge yet, but they started getting on the charts. Like, they started getting to number 60, number 50. Uh, it was a pretty immediate difference. And so they realized pretty quickly that Steve was the missing ingredient that they needed. But also... Steve is not a jam band, long solos, aggressive playing kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And that was where him and Ainsley Dunbar really butted heads. And yeah. it got it got so bad at one point that pretty much Ainsley told the band, he was just like, it's either him or me. And they said, well, you're he, Perry just gave us our first hit. So we kind of got to keep him. <laughs> you're out. Ooh, <laughs> and so, yeah. and so that's when Steve Smith came in, um, and that next album on Evolution, they got their first top twenty with Love and Touch and Squeezin, and it was just all uphill from there. Um, and then after Departure, which was in 1980, that's when Greg Raleigh said that he just felt like he was burnt out from ten years on the road because again, you got to remember that they were in Santana before that. And so for yeah. him, it had been 10 years of nonstop write record tour. And he was just like, I just, I got to figure out, I got to leave and like 
start my own family and figure out like what a halfway normal life is like. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's when he left the band. Jonathan Kane comes in. And the first record that Jonathan Kane writes on is Escape, which has Don't Stop Believing, Open Arms, Stone in Love, Who's Crying Now. I mean, just hit after hit after hit after hit. Wow. And that's kind of really when Journey's classic period begins. Those next three records are like the quintessential Journey records. So what would those be? So Escape and then Frontiers came after that. Frontiers was a massive album. The first side alone had four top 20 singles on it. That is nice. Yeah, you you had Separate Ways... Send her my love faithfully after the fall. I mean, just a huge record. And then, um, and then that's, and if you listen to our first episode, that's kind of where I end the story because this is the part where the journey, uh, story unfortunately sours. It's when the band starts to disintegrate. Um, Steve Perry was kind of always an outsider in the band because journey always viewed itself as a big family. Like it was very much a, we're entangled. We care about each other. We love each other. We hang out with each other. We, we are there for each other when things are going bad. Like that's, and that didn't just extend to the band, but to the management and the, the tour crew and like, Everyone was very close to each other except for Steve. Hmm. Steve said that he always viewed it as a business relationship. And Steve was just always naturally a, a introverted, uncomfortable with fame recluse. He, he said that the bigger journey got, the more he wanted to pull away. Yet at the same time, he was very musically driven and very stubborn about how he felt like the music was supposed to be. That's so weird. And he's the reason they got so big. If you, well, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That voice as well as, you know, when, when the hits started coming in, Neil Sean admitted that the rest of the band kind of like let him take control because they're just like, Hey, when we had control, things weren't working. All of a sudden Steve comes in and starts, contributing songs and ideas and arrangements and all of a sudden we're getting hit so let's just let him keep doing what he's doing then jonathan kane comes in and starts writing with him and it's just game over you don't you don't mess with that of course neil sean is still going to be fairly involved as far as you know the kind of bringing the rock and roll to everything Mm because jonathan kane is much more of a pop minded guy and steve was always a more of an r&b soul kind of guy and so what the really the magical combination of journey is you've got rock and roll soul and pop kind of all melded together and that's what makes journey journey um but after frontiers um Sean had uh, released a couple of solo records, but he said that his whole reason for doing it is because he wanted to do something that wasn't Journey, that didn't sound like Journey. But he started to have a little bit of success. 
And it's funny that you bring up Sammy Hagar because he actually did some solo stuff with Sammy Hagar. <laughs> and yeah. um, pre-Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And so when Steve saw that Neil was getting pretty successful with some of the solo stuff, he was just like, well, I want to do a solo record. And so he makes a solo record called Street Talk, and the first single goes to number three. And it becomes oh. a... Yeah. <laughs> It's a really great record, but the big complaint with the rest of the band was that it sounded like Journey. It it was the same kind of songs. And so that really fractured for a lot of people of just like I where where is Steve's intentions? Mm-hmm. He's he's constantly not being with us. They would say that he would be in mid conversation with some like leave and start talking to someone else he wouldn't fly with them he wouldn't get on the bus with them he had his own arrangements is just he very intentionally distanced himself from the band and in his wow. mind he thought i don't want to be entangled in their lives it's i'm already with them 24 7 as it is i have to have my own space it's reasonable reasonable but I would say the way he went about it was not for the good of the band. Right. There could have been a better way to go about it. Um, and then Perry's mom died, which was a huge cataclysmic moment for him. And mm-hmm. so at that point, he was just like, I don't even know if I want to continue in Journey. Um, the fame is getting to me. I've got all this personal stuff going on. He was... He was separating from his longtime girlfriend at that time as well. Um, he had just hit huge with a solo career. He was just like, I, what do I do with Journey? And the way that he did it was that he pretty much seized ultimate creative control. And that's where we get 1986's Raised on Radio, which I will say up front is probably my favorite Journey album. Wow. But it's also the album that irrevocably broke the band. So this is this is the third of the classic. Yes, um, it had. It was another album with four top twenty singles. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it was a it was definitely a success commercially. But during the process of making that record, they lost their rhythm section. Um, mm-hmm. When I say lost, I mean they fired them. Because um, Steve and Jonathan were constructing their songs with drum machines. And really? The, wow. Well, I mean, that's what everyone in the 80s did. Well, but and then but you don't consult your drummer? But here's the thing, they weren't with it. They were making the demos with them. Oh. But okay, no. that was contrary to how they had made before, which is everyone sits in a room and jams out ideas. And so the beef that Ross and Steve Smith had was that they were telling them to play the track like the drum machine, like the synthesized bass. They weren't having freedom to construct the parts the way that they organically would. But still, they didn't leave the band. Steve was the one that convinced Jonathan and Neil saying they're not up to snuff to what I feel like these songs need to be. Let's get rid of them. Wow. And Steve has said, in hindsight, I realize how terrible of a decision that was. 
but at the time it felt like do. That's kind of a jerk move. It 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 really was. I'm just gonna be honest. Like these guys take you into their band. Ross was a founding member. Their basis. Right. Right. You take them to superstardom and then you say they're not up to snuff. It's their band. I don't know. You now I will say it was Steve it was Steve Perry's man band more than Steve Smith. He had been there one album longer. But still, it was not I will agree, it was not the right way to go. Although musically, it it made the album sound pretty incredible. Um the hilarious thing is that the bassist on that album is Randy Jackson. And I'm I do mean American Idol Randy Jackson. I have I, I don't know who that is. I feel bad. <sighs> wow. So you are you're part of the generation that didn't grow up with American Idol. We grew up with America's Got Talent. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, my listeners will know who I'm talking about. Randy Jackson. Dog. Is he a, is he like a like a judge? Yeah, he's one of the judges. Okay, that's a big deal. Uh, I'm a big time producer, but he got his start as a session player, session bassist. And then he also recruited the drummer that played on his solo record. And so um, Jonathan was pretty firmly in Steve's camp because they were such close songwriters at this point. Neil was the one that was just like, man, I don't know about this. But he still went along with it. And honestly, if Neil had decided to leave, then Journey would have fallen apart completely. Mm-hmm. But um, because of the fact that Raised on Radio sounded so different from the rest of what Journey had done up to that point, um, it did cause him to really experiment with a lot of new sounds. And he comes up with some really cool guitar sounds throughout that whole record. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Um, so yeah, Raised on Radio was a huge hit, but it came at a pretty terrible price. And not only that, but halfway through touring for that record, Steve decided that he wanted to quit. Perry? So he was the one that, that broke the band apart to make that record and then was the one halfway through the tour saying, I'm just, my heart's not in it anymore. I want out. That's, oh man. It's kind of a jerk move. It, it is. Um, I understand. I used to be pro Steve Perry in the, in the whole Steve journey feud. But after doing my research, I feel like I got to go more on the band side because um, he, he pretty much went into seclusion for like six years. Didn't do anything. Um, Then came back, did a solo record and then contacted the uh, Jonathan and Neil and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I think I'm ready to come back to Journey. Do you want to reform? And they said, okay, sure. And so they had a big comeback record in 96 called Trial by Fire. And it gave them another top 20 single. And that song got nominated for a Grammy. Um, first time that that had ever happened to them. 
And so it was a huge record, which was is crazy because that didn't really happen much in the nineties. Mm-hmm. That was uh that was a uh, you know the nineties pretty much was just like anything that's eighties like you've got to kill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for Journey to come back and be huge was a pretty big deal, and so. Um, Steve went to Hawaii to kind of get in shape for the tour and ended up breaking his hip. Mm. That's not good. Yeah. And so he pretty much told the band that he was not going to get surgery, that he wanted things to heal on its own, but that also at the same time, he's not in physical or emotional readiness to go out on tour. And they're like, dude, if we don't go tour, all this momentum we just gathered is going to disappear. And so they were telling him, you've got to get surgery. And that made Steve really mad. And so finally, Neil and Jonathan talked to each other. It's just like, we can't wait for Steve to get better. We have to move on without him. Yeah, unfortunately. And Steve has not been a part of the band since then. Is this when they got their uh, one of their fans to be the vocalist? No, that didn't happen for about another ten years. They oh. they went through two other vocalists first. Yeah, Arnel Pineda, mm-hmm. uh, the Filipino guy that literally learned English by singing karaoke to Journey. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 a whole story itself. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty incredible what they were able to do with him. Um, he's almost in the band now. Was wow, crazy. Um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much that's the story of Journey. So it's they were a band that was that was really constantly at odds with each other, yet at the same time had this really tight knit nucleus to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how Jonathan and Steve were the ones that initially paired together, but then it turned around to Jonathan and Neil kind of becoming the the defenders of the faith as far as Journey is concerned. Yeah. Like, they're both still there. Yeah. So, and they and they constantly did side projects with each other. One of the things that Neil and Jonathan did when Steve left in the 80s was they formed a band called Bad English and they actually got a number one hit. No, wow. In 89. Something they were never able to do with Journey. One of the biggest bands of all time and yet this little side project instantly got them a number one hit. That's kind of funny. It is kind of funny. It's 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 <laughs> strangely ironic. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never heard of that band ever. So there must have been one hit wonder no they had like they had like three or four top 10 hits but they only existed for like a couple years for like a four-year period i think they only did like two albums that's pretty funny it is it's kind of hilarious but um but yeah so this this constant tug of war stylistically and um personnel like it's woven into the band as well as between journey and the larger public Mm -hmm. um i feel kind of like phil collins 
that there was a time where it was very popular to hate on Journey. Mm-hmm. And especially I would say probably like in the in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. But they're another band that kind of popular opinion is turning back towards them. Again, you can look at the fact that Don't Stop Believing has kind of become one of the new great anthems in the last uh, decade and a half. I definitely think uh, like it, it, it has turned. There's no turning about it. Like popular opinion is in their favor. Yes. Um, the f- it took them until a couple years ago to even get nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But of course, the first year they're nominated, they got in. Right. Because, again, just the critics have always been against them, especially the fact that they started off as an experimental kind of musician's jam band and then switched to being a uh, top-of-the-charts pop group. Mm. That rubbed a lot of the hoity-toity critics the wrong way. That rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, just that's that's all the headlines were. They've sold out. They They only care about hits. And they've they've abandoned kind of their core principle when honestly, it was a pretty natural transition. They were never going to be they wouldn't have been able to make another record had they not changed directions. Mm-hmm. It was it was what they had to do. And and Neil talks about the fact that it's always been a battle with him. I don't want to always write hits, but at the same time, the hits are what allow me to continue to do what I love most. They're almost, they're almost a necessary evil. So I might as well make them as best as I can. And then, and then, and then sneak in there to kind of show (laughs) that the root of journey is still there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have that. Gotta have that for you. Yeah. You can't make it all be sold out, otherwise you won't love it, you know? And here's the thing. I would say a very small portion of um of their songs is that more commercial sounding um direction. Like even on their big pop record, there's still like the you get into the deep cuts and there's some pretty hard rocking stuff. That's a lot of the songs in this set we're going to be talking about is is going to be a mix of some 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 forgotten gems the the there is a theme to the the songs that we're going to be talking about which is the the harder rocking side of journey yeah the heavy stuff yeah i mean i don't think anyone would have ever confused journey at times with heavy metal <laughs> but although maybe you could say about that on some of their first albums, there's some really heavy stuff on there. Yeah, I guess um, we'll get to that in the after hours segment. Um, I would say actually only one song really. Well, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, for our patrons, but... we'll get there for everyone else. You won't. <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is the whole point of this episode is to convince you that that Journey is more than their power ballads. Yeah. Because it's not just you that has told me that. It's it's a common misconception. It's because those are the songs that are endlessly played. Right. That's I guess not... if you're 
if you're into that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Then you love Journey. That's okay, right? It's just it's it's that kind of stuff annoys me after a while. I couldn't. I, I couldn't make. A, I couldn't make a whole episode on Power Ballad Journey. Right. There's not enough of it. It's just that that's what got big. Pop mm. the pop charts have always favored the the ballads. I would say more ballads have gone number no songs. That's yeah. probably not as much true today, but you through like the sixties and the seventies and the eighties, the songs that that are schmaltzy and pretty and and sugary are always the songs that go to number one. Yeah, nowadays it's it's the it's the beat. Yep. It's that rhythm section. But I would still say that the majority favors that just from the sixties, seventies, and eighties. I I would say that if you look at like non radio opinion, if you look at people who listen to music of all eras, they tend to favor that more soulful stuff. Uh huh. And people like you and me tend to favor that kind of that hard rock stuff. And, you know, pop is always going to be popular and Journey's right in the middle of all those three. Yeah. So it's no wonder that they have stood the test of time. Yes. And again, kind of, I want to show that you can like the harder edged rock and roll, hard rock, heavy metal stuff and still like Journey. It's not, it's not, um, someone like say Simon and Garfunkel where it's just like if you exclusively like harder rocking stuff it's going to be more of a stretch mm-hmm. to open yourself up to that kind of music with Journey I feel like it can be a fairly easy thing to step into mm-hmm. and so that's what I'm trying to accomplish with this episode man man and I could tell my first listen through so I'm excited to talk about the songs which we will discuss. We've been talking about them for an hour now. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs that we have chosen for this Journey Hard Rocking episode. We'll be right back. Welcome back everyone to the good music podcast of course your favorite music podcast we have been talking about journey this has been a volume two episode we're taking a deep dive into journey's heavier side and we just spent a whole hour talking about you know all the different drama in the band and whatever and referencing oh these songs that we're going to talk about later well it's finally time to talk about those songs if you want to listen to them which i highly suggest that you do just so you get a good basis about what we're going to be talking about down in the description, there's a link to that has not only these songs, but all of the songs from all of the previous episodes for you guys to listen to. So listen to these, and they're meant to be listened to this order. They have a nice little flow from start to finish. And if you see other songs on that playlist that you're kind of interested in, we have an episode about that song, so you'll definitely want to check that out. And without any further ado, let's start it off with quite a big song which yes. is a little weird because we we're i thought you were trying to stay away from that but we got separate ways 
can't yes, turn it but, into a pun this time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but this this song fits into the my theme so well. Oh, it definitely does. It definitely does. It it's the heaviest of their big songs. I'd have to say, yes, of their of their monumental songs. This is objectively, not objectively. This is subjectively my favorite. Oh, okay. So we so I, we maybe started I shouldn't off. Use, shouldn't use the term favorite, but like it's the least bad. I, I I started off with something that at least puts you in a good disposition. Yeah, I I after I you know, after it started with this song, I was worried it was gonna be a whole bunch of songs that I recognized, but this was the only one. This so, was when you had said that earlier, I figured it was probably this one. Yeah, this was the only one, but it does kind of have that that rockin' guitar tone, the heavy toms. It fits the heaviness. Yeah, it's it's very minor sounding. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like this. This is definitely not a. This is mm-hmm. not a ballad. This is not. I wouldn't even say this is like an up tempo rocker. This is a pretty brooding, dark song. But, mm-hmm. but still, one of those songs that really helped define Journey has become one of their big, big songs. Mm-hmm. So this is off of the album Frontiers, which came out in 80... I believe it was 83. Um, it was the lead single, and it was by far the earliest song from the album to be written. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that they performed it live like before they even recorded it. <laughs> Wow. Um, Steve and jo- and Jonathan wrote it backstage, literally like in an afternoon, presented it to the guys during sound check, and then said, let's play it tonight. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. Imagine being at that concert. Yeah. Apparently the crowd went wild for it. That's and good. that and Steve was just like I don't understand how they got so insane for a song that they've never heard and a song that really wasn't even finished. But they apparently, yeah. I mean, that just shows the power of this song is that even in its unfinished, unheard form, it still you know rocked the house. Yeah. Um. So at the time that this was written. Um, Neil Sean and Ross Valerie were going through pretty bad divorces. And so this was Jonathan and Steve's um, take on kind of examining the disintegration of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, Steve, the way Steve framed it was, isn't there a, a more um, like, like a, like a better way to look at, a more soulful way to look at, this type of situation something that while acknowledging that something has ended still provides at least a a glimmer of hope Mm -hmm. because there there is some a little bit of optimism the whole you know uh that if he ever hurts you true love won't desert you you know i still love you Mm -hmm. um and like the 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 verses are very painful and very um, pessimistic and realistic <laughs> about the situation, but the chorus is actually quite uplifting. It's it's definitely realistic. I think it seems uplifting in contrast. Yes, 
it's it's not saying like I'm gonna be alone forever. It's mm. you know misery is my life. Like it's the you know someday love will find you, break those chains that bind you. Like it's saying you know this is not the end. Mm. There you you can love again after something like this. It'll be hard, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's 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 like the it's the point of grief where you've reached acceptance. You understand wow. that it sucks mm-hmm. and that you would prefer that you didn't go through it, but at the same time, nothing you can do can stop it. You might as well just let it happen and move on. Yeah. That's true, that's true. And man, this 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 song just it it naturally flows. Yeah. Like I would say the only like totally I don't say totally unnatural, but the only totally the only not totally natural, that's what I'm trying to say, is that chorus when everything's kind of doubled and it's like it uses that almost like that A minor to add some of that like dark nature to it. Mm-hmm. It's really quite uh quite I don't want to say punishing. But if you were to put like that punishing feeling into pop, that's kind of how you would do it. Is to yeah. have that, that A minor, E minor. And it's very, very Bach. Um, I, I probably misusing misusing Bach because he 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 wants to be an uplifting type of composer. But unfortunately, you know, well, over time, go back to, to go back to Takata and Fugue. Well, that wasn't his intent, you know. But over time, right, uh, those those minor keys have become more of like an evil, dark, brooding type feeling. And they use this to their advantage in, in several ways. And I think it's really good. Like using that keyboard as a good sound, kind of the way that that Rush would have used a keyboard. A tech. Yeah. It's it's filling in exactly what the song needs while it's adding Jonathan Kane. Yeah, Jonathan Cain was really good at that and not just mm-hmm. being a rhythm keyboard player, mm-hmm. which is really easy to fall into when you're in a rock group. Mm-hmm. He was always very creative on creating these great lines and, and complementary um, pieces to what Neil was doing. And that that lead keyboard line, that main, um, dunna, 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 right, that's tough to do on one hand and to play that song correctly you have to do that on one hand because uh, yeah the the guy who did our um don't stop me now the piano part on don't stop me now he would play this um all the time uh in high school when we were jamming or whatever and he'd play it on one hand and he'd have to like move his hand because his hands were not you know the biggest but i mean <laughs> you either have to have some really stretchy hands or you have to know exactly where you're going and really pay attention to what you're doing when you're playing this song. And yeah. it seems so simple. It's deceptively simple. And I guess that's that's kind of the same thing with Neil Sean. Maybe that's just maybe that's the the hidden secret sauce of Journey is yeah. that it sounds so simple, but there's a lot underlying and i ooh, i don't know because i like that about some music though yeah I'm... think about think about yes 90125 oh no oh man i have i am treading a very fine line right now i'm about mm-hmm. to be disowned out of this household 
<laughs> better, better make sure a guy doesn't hear this episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if if he does, that might start a chain reaction. Oh, that's funny. You ha- you set me up. I didn't have it planned. Okay. But it's interesting that you say yes. The band, right? Yeah. Because these next four songs have a little bit of yes in them in in different ways. Here's, I would say the reason that they have a little yes in them is because they have a little Beatles in them. Everybody's got a little Beatles in them. Yeah, but I would say that yes and Journey in particular um, pull very heavily from the Beatles and have been outward in their pulling of the Beatles. But I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to be serious. Like, this song, Chain Reaction, sounds like it's ripped off of 90125. Hmm. Like, like note for note, it it belongs there. I would say both of those albums were made probably at about the same time. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but also I, I don't think that they had overlapping relationships, like to where they would have known. Mm-hmm. You can't. I don't think you could say that they heard either album or just like, oh, we got to make it sound like that. I think it was mm-hmm. just it's the early eighties. It was it was it was the sound. Um, Chain reaction, I think, is a underappreciated song. Mm-hmm. It's the only song on the first side that didn't go top twenty, but it was still a single and still I think it went. It was like in the top forty at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, compared to the other songs on side one, it's the one that gets forgotten about, and I think it's a shame because it's a pretty cool song. And mm-hmm. very, I would say a very different sounding song for Journey. One of the most aggressive sounding songs they've ever made. I remember, aggressive? Yeah, I would say, I remember the first time I heard this, I was very surprised by just that, like kind of hearing almost like a metal style guitar riff. Yeah, it is kind of thrashy. Well, just yeah, just they, not as fast as thrash. You also get that kind of that Gene Simmons sound in the verse. Mm-hmm. Mm, that that kind of that's very Creatures of the Night too. It's weird. Yeah, like they, they mixed uh, Creatures of the Night and Nine Hundred One Two Five because that the D major that is totally totally '80s post prog with like the million layers of vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really bouncy and uppity, you know? Mmm. That's really good. I, did I just say that about a Journey song? I did. I can't hold it in anymore. I can't. <laughs> oh, man. It's, again, it's just, it's, it's almost like I knew it would happen. I just had to get the right songs in front of you. Yeah, I mean, this this wasn't the song that did it. We, st- we, still, got a, we still got a little ways to go. But this song definitely kind of threw me through a loop when I first heard it because... I did not recognize it. I was surprised by the sounds I was hearing. I'm like, there's no way this is Journey. But sure enough, it was. It was the same album, right? Has uh-huh. to be. And ah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's all about subverting expectations, I guess. Yeah. I, and... that's, that, was, that was my goal with this set, was to, to, again, kind of surprise you and just go, okay, I bet you didn't expect to hear this. Was not. But no. then to reveal that this is actually more in the norm than the other stuff. Like, again, 
I, I do say that this is one of the most aggressive ones, but it's still like there's plenty of other Journey songs that have kind of just these raw, just driving guitar riffs and more aggressive takes. Like you look at a, songs like Keep On Running and Dead or Alive and mm-hmm. um, La Da. I mean, it's just that's that's not. It's not abnormal for Journey to go this direction, but I would say of the times they've gone that direction, this is one of the heaviest takes. But I would say it's still not dark in the way that Separate Ways is. Right. It's got a bit more of a of a like you said about. I think a big part of it is that chorus. Mm-hmm. The verses are 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 a lot heavier, but then you get to the mm-hmm. chorus, like oh yeah, this is a bit more classic journey right and and that that bridge section too it's crazy yeah. it sounds like it belongs on impact ah, there's so much happening here you know uh-huh it's it's all very unique you can't you can you can you feel like you can place it and then it, i don't know i love it so <laughs> what it, what is what is this song about lucas uh this is pretty much a cynical take on love that that it kind of it's a bit of a theme is either yearning for love or losing love and this song kind of almost sits in the in the mode of just cuz it's talks about uh love is a viper and steals your soul <laughs> and just about how there's sometimes you find yourself drawn to the wrong relationship and no matter how you f- fight it it sets off a chain reaction that you can't control we surrender lose control we can't control the situation now that the chain reaction has begun i Mm. bet she's the one who'll help you come undone there's a lot of rhymes you could do you could even turn it into the lyrics from manhattan project (laughs) yeah oh that's (laughs) a great song man yeah that's a good song I mean, this is a good song too. It it's so weird to hear the same guitar player who did, um, you know, play this really chugging riff. Yeah. Uh and and that that solo at the end that's really just it kind of it kind of leaves you in a little dissonant spot every time he loops around. Uh-huh. Perfect for that fade out that you mentioned in in you know part one. Yep, this is an example of the Neil Sean special. Yeah. And it's not the last time we're going to hear it in this set. Mm. Oh, man. Oh. I got to save it. I got to save it. I got to save it. I got to pretend like I don't like Journey so I can be surprised for the next song as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can go, hard, go ahead and move on because I, I, I had a feeling that this next one was going to be the turning point. This was definitely the turning point. Oh my gosh, you nailed it. Like you hit the nail on the head with this one. Because... I knew that I knew that you would not be able to resist that guitar solo. No, I, it wasn't the guitar solo that did it. It was the um like it was that chorus combined with the guitars in the background. Like they oh, sounded yeah, really power metal. Yeah, so this is uh this is be good to yourself. Yes. Raised From on Radio. Woo. 
So this was this was the biggest single off of that record. It went to number nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had heard the title before. This was, I would say that this might have been the first Journey ever heard. That you ever heard? Well, ever consciously heard, because something like Don't Stop Believing, you just, you know, almost mm-hmm. by osmosis. Right. But I remember when I got that iPod, this was the first Journey song that I put on. Ooh, and that's when I was just, oh, I like this band. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way it was uh, for me when I put this song on. I'm like, mm, maybe Journey has something to offer. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're not not what they seem because that verse like those verse vocals way soaring way up there with that nice delay and reverb you just feel like you're floating on the clouds you know but at the same time you're just like there's lightning bolts and like crazy beams of light coming from behind you it's like that episode in spongebob when they do a uh, sweet victory uh, yeah and you get that feeling <laughs> you know uh, yeah uh, it's just it's it's just, uh, in a very different way from how Casey Musgraves feels very atmospheric. This feels very atmospheric, but at the same time, like in your face atmospheric. A lot like yeah. one. It's because it's 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 a great wall of sound. Oh yeah, I mean the the two songs before this were mixed very wall of sound too, but in a very but, different way. It's got a it's. The first the the sound on Frontiers in general is a very like almost drowning you right where it's 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 very dense sounding uh-huh where on raised on radio like every square inch of the sound is produced but it all is very crystal clear it's, nothing it's- nothing muddles together it's you can hear what every single instrument is doing like almost exactly right and and, and yet weird, it all fits together the weird thing is like during the guitar solo it almost starts to sound like dream theater <laughs> you know it's funny you say that oh no <laughs> because dream theater has said before that their approach to vocals is how do we get journey style melodies into what we do journey has always been a a a very vocal influence on dream theater i mean if you listen to change of seasons and you listen to the live portion when they do the big medley they do a journey song yeah that's true they have never been shy about how journey has been one of their biggest inspirations yeah and particularly in the vocal area and you know dream theater they're they're better prog artists than i am so there's some weight to that argument. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's it's just it's such a soaring song. And mm-hmm. notice there's been a bit of a development with these songs. We started with something really heavy and not with a lot of fun. Chain reaction is still heavy, but it's got some more fun to it. And then by this point, we're just all out. Still, it's still kind of aggressive, but not in at all in a dark way. Man, this would be a fun song to perform live. Oh yeah. I d- I don't know why that thought just came to my head, but it would be so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I just I just got to think that's got to be fun to drum. I mean, you listen to those drum parts. 
Mm-hmm. Simple sim- yet powerful sounding. It's simple. It's powerful, but like it sits right in the pocket, like everything else. Man, I, I, I don't like that they kind of subverted their rhythm section, but I can, I can understand it. Like I can, or I should say, something good came out of it. It's unfortunate in the long run, but it elevated the album in the short run. Right. right. It's, it's the double-edged sword. It's just like, you kind of hate Perry for making that decision, but also, man, the album would not... I don't think it would have been as good had they not made that decision. They would have just had to have made a different record. We wouldn't have gotten raised on radio. It's a weird thing to consider, but... The only yeah. thing we can do is is look at what we got, and what we got was pretty magnificent. <laughs> yeah, what we got was really good, at least in this song. Ah, man, that the whole album is pretty incredible. I would say there's only of like the eleven songs or so that are on there. There's only two that I'm just like, eh, I could take or leave this song. Not even bad songs. I wouldn't. Yeah, they're not bad because they're not in the bottom six. They're not even in the bottom twenty. <laughs> Wow. They're just they're just songs. I'm just like, yeah, that's it's good. But then every other song is just like magnificent. Mm, could this be some future listening? Perhaps I, I would say so. But I, we'll confirm that at the end of the episode. We will confirm that at the end of the episode. And and yeah, I mean, you got the overproduced nature of it. I wouldn't want to say overproduced, but highly. It starts. It starts to sound almost like Dragon Force, right? But at the end of the day, you know, Dragon Force does sound good. Yes, sound they good. do. So you can't like. I mean, you can't say, "Oh, it's overproduced. It must be bad." Like they wrote the song. They wrote the song, and it's mixed super, super well. I like the feeling of it. Like, I like the freedom of it, you know? And it's, yeah. it's the lyrics. Are like, it will literally be good to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? Which That's, was... Yeah. It was written by Jonathan Cain, but it is based off something that he constantly heard Steve say. Which is, be good to yourself. Yeah, which is... It, he was going through probably the worst part of his personal life. And so it was just... It was almost kind of like a mantra that he would just, like remind himself of and and he he said he just 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 wrote it down one day because he was just like there's probably a good idea song wise there somewhere and but he said he see this was one of the songs that he really slaved over and couldn't quite figure out and then he said finally in the shower it literally the chorus came to him and that he rushed out of the shower, got to the studio, his hair was still wet, and he said, guys, I've got it, we got to get this now. He showed it to Steve, and they had the track within the hour. That's awesome. Oh my goodness, that's a story. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how inspiration will just get you at any moment. And and how you, once once it hits you, you gotta take control of it at that moment. You, yeah, you got it. Because it might not be there later. Let's talk about that guitar solo, though. Because to okay. me, to me, the guitar solo is what pushes the song over the limit. 
It's I I think that it's one of the best Neil Sean specials. It's uh it's it's he kind of uses some elements of all of the twelve tone scale. He throws a bit of Mixolydian in here and a little minor in here and and mainly plays in major, you know, because the song's in major. It's a happy song. Be good to yourself. And so when you hear that like. You know, that last note doesn't quite sit there, so it's a little bit jazzy. It's a little bit like kind of like push and pull. And it's got some attitude, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not be good to yourself, la la la. It's like be good to yourself, take control of your life kind of feeling, you know? Uh huh. Be good to yourself when nobody else will. Right. It it, it drives home the whole point of that song because he, like, he. And it would still been like an amazing solo, but I, I like that he he added a little bit of a little bit of attitude there, because you got to have a little bit of attitude in a guitar solo, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was blazing at some points. It was really blazing. Oh yeah, when he when he starts doing that fast picking and just climbing up. Oh yeah, and the delay certainly helps his cause because you you sound like you're soaring through the clouds you know you're up on top of a mountain or you're standing at the like the vast expanse of the ocean or something it's just wide open atmosphere and you know it, it looks like the cover of the album yeah it really <laughs> so. does i love i love it whenever songs sonically match the um and i don't know if maybe that's just our brains make it fit but you know, if it was a different album cover, that we would still think that. But it's a, it's an interesting philosophical thing to consider. That's a that's a good. Uh, there's a psychology study in there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm feeling that way. I'm feeling the way of going to the next song. Yeah, I was waiting for <laughs> that. It. Was, that was very forced. That was very forced, but. This next one, we're going to Infinity, the album Infinity. Yes. That way is the song. Which was Steve Harry's first album. Oh. So we're, we're going backwards a little bit to 1978. Oh, my. Really? So this was this was still a pretty pre-fame. So the, so the big songs off of Infinity were Lights and Wheel in the Sky. I don't know if you had ever heard those before. I have heard Wheel in the Sky, yeah. Yeah, both of those are... I'm, I'm sure that if you heard Lights, both Lights and Wheel in the Sky are in our first episode. Okay. Um, those, were, those were kind of like the, the first big hits that they had. Um, but in the, in the first half of this album you kind of you get these two songs that go back to back that are inextricably paired together when you listen, hear them on rock radio mm-hmm. and so when i was putting this together i was just like well if i'm gonna put one of these i have to have both of them mm-hmm. because journey fans would cry foul if i separated them they're, <laughs> kind, of, they're kind of forever joined at the hip Although I think for good reason, they they flow so nicely together. So the first mm-hmm. one is feeling that way. Um, this is one of the songs where Greg Raleigh and Steve Perry share the lead vocal. Ah, uh, so it opens up with Greg. Yes. And then when it comes in with the rest of the band, it's Steve. Uh-huh. 
That's why it sounds like two vocalists. Okay, I I was wondering if it was just Steve doing a weird voice, but I can see what you mean by Steve having like a, a soul R&B kind of influence about him. Mm-hmm. Because when he comes in, that's like... That's when the song just hits another level. In a weird way, it's kind of like Tina Turner-ish. <laughs> I, I that's what, that was my first thought was, where it was something like that. that I can see that. A, I've never was, thought that before, but I can totally see that. Yeah, that we had like a, a guest vocalist from that style of music, but well, really, we kind of did uh, if you think about it. Yeah, um, the guest vocalist just happened to stay with him. <laughs> uh huh. So yeah, and yeah. and it, I I did not think this was the 70s at all it's too the keyboards are too 80s i mean the guitars are too 80s you know it just i mean not i mean it's i would say it's probably a little bit forward thinking but not necessarily i would say that this sounds like a pretty 70s record Mm, yeah well okay (laughs) Thing is, though, is that it was it was engineered and produced by Rory Thomas Baker, who did all the big Queen songs, the Queen albums in the seventies. Uh, so I think that that's probably what's contributing to that. It it definitely sounds like the Eagles. Like there's a little bit of Eagles in there. Yeah, but sonically, it fits in the eighties. You know, it's it, I think they were they were. They were forward thinking as far as, or I guess their producer was forward thinking uh, in the, sorry, sound engineer, not producer, right? Forward thinking in the sense of, you know, what's the next decade of songs going to sound like? Because this fits with Be Good to Yourself. Yeah. Sonically. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so I think that's, that's kind of nice. And it shows a little bit, you know, the fact that they're kind of a, a pretty far, pretty powerful force. I was going to say powerful force, powerful force uh, in the music industry at the time already. Um, you know, because they happened to get you know such a such a big name guy to put such a great production over. Yeah, so this song had a pretty interesting um, journey <laughs> to getting to the final product. So the song started off as an instrumental called Velvet Curtain. And then um, Greg had put some lyrics to it. And it was initially like a pretty different sounding song. And it didn't even contain the part where Steve comes in. And it was going to be on their third record. And then they just decided, oh, this doesn't fit. We'll just save it for another time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Steve came in, he wrote the part that he sings on the "In the Summer Sun, She'll Be There." Like that did not exist in the original version of the. Song. That was his contribution. That's awesome. That's yeah. quite awesome. Really, because I mean, that's like that's like the point of the song where it kind of like just goes boom, mm-hmm. where it where it becomes something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and that little kind of pre-chorus thing afterwards too, where it goes down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's the crux of the song. That's yeah. awesome. It's what helps it get to that big ending. I'm glad they kept that around. 
Yeah. And so then once once Perry came in, that's kind of when the song reached its final form. Its final form, which we were listening to. Mm-hmm. So and, what is it about? Um, I mean it's pretty much a it's a generic love song. Really? I would say that until Jonathan Cain came in, their lyrics did tend to veer more on the um, generic side. Uh, so is that the same with the uh, the next one as well? Yeah. Gotcha. There are exceptions in times where they were based off of personal experience that they'd had. Um, like in the case of Love and Touch and Squeeze In or something like Lights where it's it's a homage to um, San Francisco. Um, but for the most part, it was it was kind of like the lyrics were just part of what needed to be on the song. Mm-hmm. But that was the one of the big things that Jonathan Cain brought to the band was he was just like, let's tell real stories about real people and make the lyrics kind of mean something more um, universal rather than just kind of like generic lyrics. I mean, that's that's good. I was like, saying- because, you know, we, we talked about the first three songs having kind of some very interesting ways of of looking at things. Even, like, be good to yourself. That's so cool that it's it's something that Steve Perry would just say. That's a very personal story. Yeah. Kind of cool. So that's a welcome change. Yeah. It's sure. again that's I would say that's Jonathan Kane and just his his approach. Yeah. Um there's a there's a reason why they really took a a level up when he joined. I mean, old journey would not have written just a small town girl living in a lonely world. I was that was way out of lyrically their comfort zone of what they would normally write. Hmm. That's pretty generic now. Well, because everybody knows it. It's it's not <laughs> generic. I would just say it's iconic. That's mm, um, true. Because I mean, it's it's still the reason why that's one of the reasons why is because people identify with those lyrics. They they find something. There's there's always going to be um, small town girls and city boys looking for something more. It's the yeah. reason that song has continues to endure. One of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, because again, they journey was always instrumentally minded first, and so kind of lyrics were more just like something that oh we have to have lyrics, so let's just put something on there. I not, and that's not to detract from the song, but that's just that was just more of the mindset. Hmm. Anyway, anyway. it it does it does help to just simple lyrics allows for a really punchy melody to to come through. Mm-hmm. That's... Especially you get to that once you get to that ending section, you've got Steve just kind of riffing off and you've got the background vocals coming in one of the one of the things that is missed about later era journey is that steve and greg's vocals really did mesh together really nicely i would say that 
mid-era journey, which is what I would say is 78 to 80. Those There's that span of three records, Infinity, mm-hmm. Evolution, and Departure, does have probably the best gang group vocals of Journey's career. That's that's important to note. I would think cuz once once you get into the classic era, the Escape Frontiers raised on radio, mm-hmm. it's primarily Steve's voice in the background vocals. A little bit of Jonathan, a little bit of Neil, uh but I would say that the big thing you're missing is Greg's voice. There, there is, there was a special alchemy of their voices coming together. Man, you know we can we can talk about this at any time, but I would like to <laughs> talk about the transition to the next song. <laughs> I did it. Woo! So, did you think at the moment that these songs were linked together on the album? I, I was not looking at the. Um, set list when I was listening. I thought you had just been like, ooh, this song ends acapella. This one starts. That's a cool transition. And then when I saw that they were on the same record, I was like, hmm, I don't think that's a coincidence because they would have made that transition themselves. Yeah. And that's really cool. So yeah, like feeling that way ends on that final, you know, acapella feeling that way or whatever it is, right? I'm so sorry for those of you listening with headphones. I know you. <laughs> I know you might have to go get a new pair. I might have uh, broken a few, but um, yeah. So then it goes right into any time, which is this acapella opening, and it it's just it's such a seamless transition. It's so good. It's like right on the money. There's like no delay. Mm-hmm. There's no delay. But then there's there's that kind of like it takes a little second for any time to get started. Like, you kind of are like, ooh, what's going to happen next? And the song kind of, you know, begins. Yeah. So, um, this was written before Steve Perry came into the band. There was actually a, a brief interlude where they had a lead singer for, like, two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, named Robert Fleischman. And he was their initial pick for the new lead singer and then realized really quickly into the process that he was not the guy. Oh. But he actually did help co-write this song in in the short, short time that he was there. Mm. So I guess guess Greg is singing some, some lead here as well. Yes, so pretty much the only... Perry comes in for that bridge, the anytime at all. Oh, oh, oh. That's the only time you can hear him lead on this song. I would say of all the Perry era songs, this is the one that he gets the least amount of vocal time on. But it's at the same time, it's like it's just enough to like add this little like sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me wish that they would have done this a little more. Yeah, because Greg's voice is so good. It is on good. This one. I mean, co- comparing a voice to Steve Perry's is really tough. But mm-hmm. it's, 
I could have seen them doing this more. They, I think they should have. That's that's one of the things that I love about Mastodon is because they do that a lot. They'll switch yeah. characters a lot, and you get like somebody will sing a verse and it'll sound like this way, and then somebody will sing a chorus and it'll sound this way, and it like fits perfectly. It's these two different kind of you know, or really three now different kind of um, you know effects to it, and. Oh man, like like Greg's voice fits so perfectly with that like kind of chorusy effect with a little bit of rasp into it for that that kind of that low verse. Mm-hmm. It fits it fits that late seventies vibe just so yeah. perfectly. I love it. I love it. And yeah, of course, Steve Perry's part is great. Yeah, yeah, we we get it. Again, think, it, it's the it's, it's the perfect little shot at just the right moment i i think i just think it's greg's song you know it i is. think he really he really brings it home with this one mm-hmm. uh, but of course the star is those is those those group vocals oh for sure and They're this persisted with the whole song yeah this is an instance where they just flat out say that that it's a Beatles homage. <laughs> oh, uh, they said that uh, that Greg came up with the ooze first, but they didn't have any words to come after it, mm. and that that was kind of more like a Bing Crosby influence. And then Neil Sean came in with, uh, "Why don't I just add this anytime that you want me?" Which is a very Beatles sounding little line. And that's kind of how that whole thing came together. Yeah, you can really hear the Beatles' influence at the outro. Mm-hmm. That guitar line comes in and it kind of climbs up and then it drops back down. That's so Beatles. Yeah. Ooh, man. It's it's so this everything in this song is so simple, and it's the simplicity and the fact that everything has room to breathe, like the guitar solos probably the simplest one of this set mm-hmm. but yet it just it's so powerful right right it's 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 almost kind of sloppy like i don't want to say that but he's hanging on some notes a bit longer than he should have and there's some like some bending and hitting other notes on other strings and and stuff that you'd expect like from a blues guitar player you don't uh-huh. really see in some of our earlier songs in this set, you know, and that's, it's, it's okay either way. Right. I'm not saying he like sold out and he's rejecting the blues. Right. But you know, that completely different style. It's so weird to see the evolution, you know? Yeah. And I guess, I guess this kind of was their transition moment record. So it does make sense that there's a little bit of kind of shreddy-ish, but still mainly that that blues, that 70s blues, you know? Yeah, it's... A lot of people like to say that Infinity was maybe the band's greatest record because of the fact that it it is the perfect combo of where Journey was and where they were going. Mm. Uh, but but to do something like that would be to say that 
that Megadeth's Countdown to Extinction is their best because it's the perfect combo of where they were and where they were going. And that's very much not the case. Yeah. Transition Records have a tough time being a band's best record. Yeah, but I will say that Infinity is a contender for their best record. I mean, you got these two songs. You've also got Wheel in the Sky and Lights. You've got Patiently and La Du Da, Winds of March. I mean, I would say that you've got a pretty solid argument for being in the upper tier. I would say this could maybe be top three. Because I think that this album probably edges out Frontiers just by a bit. Oh, wow. And then and then Escape and Raised on Radio. Escape. I... I've seen I've seen the cover for Escape many many times. Yes. So I you'll, you'll see it on our last song. I I will I will and I suppose that I've seen that cover many times because it's such a big such a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a number one record. A number one record. Well, our number six song off of the number one record. Well, a number one record. Well, in your mind, the number two journey record that made it to number one anyway final Um, song i mean i would say objectively this is their best record i just like raised on radio more okay interesting but you just you can't deny the power of escape it's just it's got so many hits and even the deep cuts are incredible all right so we uh going back to some some ballad yeah, but not not ballad. really a again not a ballad that you would expect. So this is this is mother father. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is definitely kind of almost returning in a way to the darkness at the beginning of the set. Oh yeah, that is true. It's uh, I mean when that that's a that's a really moody chord progression in the verse. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes that first chorus and the drums haven't come in yet, but that guitar comes up, ba 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 bow, ba 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 bow. Mm-hmm. In in a weird way, it's kind of something off of "So Far So Good, So What." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dave uses that chord progression so many times in so many songs during that era, where it's it's like you think it's minor, and then all of a sudden it's mixolydian or something, you know? <laughs> uh huh. So, and it does kind of lend itself to a little bit of optimistic. No, sorry, it's not optimistic. Get, you know, punished in the brooding chord progression. Mm-hmm. They don't use it that way, but it's very easy to use it that way. So, and a lot of metal guys do that. Um, Cashmere is that way. Um, it uses that same kind of little progression on it. So, um, it's all over the place, but yeah, and so they have that in the verse, and then you get to the chorus, and it opens up, and it's major now, and then it just shuts down for the verse again. I think it's a it's a nice little contrast. It gives you both sides. Uh huh. Yeah this this song 
Steve Perry does some almost inhuman things vocally. Oh, for sure. This is definitely the song where he shows off. If you were if you were not a Steve Perry believer before, this song has to turn you into one. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's it's virtuosic. Yeah. This is this is the kind of song where I hear him doing it and I'm just like, I don't understand how you can make your voice do that. And it right. like and just you can tell in the tone that he's it's like he's not straining for those notes. And they're not falsetto. Those that is pure chest voice. Man, At the very I, least a, a throat voice. I wish. I wish I could sing like that. I couldn't even hit those notes straining. Yeah. I could, I could false, falsetto and then just put it through a tube screamer so it sounds more powerful. If I'm it's, in perfect condition, I can hit it but not make it sound effortless like he does. Can you though? No. You got a, you got a pretty strong voice. Yeah, but good lord. I mean, again, this is this is this is another level of of I yeah. imagine that this is what the uh the constrato from the classical period, this is what they sounded like. What they were able to do this is what they were able to do with their voices. Ooh, Those yes. of you know what that means, go check out either of our Mozart opera episodes. Right, right. But that was that was that was the thought when I was listening to the song. I was just like, "Oh, maybe this is what they sounded like." Ooh, or maybe even maybe even more intense. We never know. That's true. We 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 don't have a way to know at this point. But I could imagine that it couldn't be too far off from what he's doing here. Yeah. I'm (laughs) comparing Steve Perry to a legendary like type of vocalist legendary you know right or wrong right we're not going to go into the moral implications of that but (laughs) I I think you're I think you're right I think you're justified in that because some of those notes are way up there I mean they're they're high on a guitar he can sing them. Yeah. Oh wow. It's about at the upper limits of what a male voice can do. <laughs> it's exceeded the upper limit. But again, I mean, he's not, superhuman. It's not just pure range, like the the acrobatic nature of it. He's not just like hitting a big old high note and holding it. He is just jumping between honestly really weird notes oh yeah like they're not even like ones that you could maybe even easily like kind of go to in default you have got to know exactly where you're going in order to sing that yeah do you think you practiced it a lot or or no i have a feeling that he was just able to nail that it almost sounds improvisational like he was just like that's what he felt in that take and again you listen to him live he's able to do the same thing 
where he's just able to just go wherever he wants and make it sound like it's what he planned to do. Very, uh, very Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. Mm, oh, man. Yeah, okay, and Freddie's pretty good. Yeah. I'm telling you, Steve Perry is one of the greatest rock singers of all time. We we should do a we should do a rock singer tournament. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Some sometime in the future. Maybe maybe for patrons in after hours or something. Yeah, that could that could be a little a fun experiment. But but how about that ending? I mean it's just yeah. out of nowhere. It's like these weird uh, very cathartic which this is our catharsis song, right? Mm-hmm. Very cathartic moment of just like, okay, it's the end, guys. The lights are coming on. This is the end of the end of the concert. Kind of very. Um, crazy enough, this is actually not the last song on the album. It's the second to last. Oh my gosh! What's the last? Open arms. Okay, that makes sense. Which I is really cool. Whenever you're listening to the record, because it's just like you get to this. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And then to just have that piano part to open arms and kind of just almost end with something like anthemic, but also very touching and intimate. It, it's a really brilliant, nice way to end the album. Yeah. Yeah, that is certainly true. But I, for our I, set, perfect way to end. It is a perfect way to end. And man, we didn't even talk about the weirdness of their album artwork. Yeah, it's kind of one of the defining things about Journey. <laughs> I always thought that their their artwork was a little uh, interesting, to say the least. I can't yeah, really yeah. tell what's happening on any of them. They but... almost tell a story. Oh. Almost. Okay. I mean, I don't think... I think it's anyone that has a story for it is, is it's headcanon. But there's definitely a theme. Like, you start off with Infinity, and then uh, Evolution, it's the same image, but the wings have, have gotten bigger. And then Departure, it's almost like it's this object has emerged from the cocoon, and the wings are using them to fly away. I mean, just look at the name titles, Infinity, Evolution, Departure, and then Escape. Um, oh, at that yeah. point, that item has turned almost like into a starship and it's busting out. And then you've got Frontiers, which I would say visually doesn't connect, but Frontiers being, you know, after you escape, you go into the Frontier. Ooh, that's true, but then Raised on Radio breaks it. Yeah, completely. It doesn't even hold anything from the previous album style. I like that though. Ah, gosh. There's like no reason to say that they're bad. This is sad. I have to, gotta, gotta pack my things and move out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Move out before my, uh, my dad figures out that I'm. Oh, and a journey appreciator. One other cool thing about mother father is that, that almost proggy, really quite dream theater like section the um was written by neil sean's dad that's cool oh my gosh that he came up with that little line and and neil was just like hey can can we put that in our song he was like yeah sure go ahead that's kind of cool yeah the father made it into mother father oh my gosh yeah oh my 
Wow. <laughs> the album title art telling a story the dad being in the song did we talk about the meaning of this song no we didn't oh let's do that because it doesn't doesn't have any personal ties but this was again like how i said when jonathan kane came on he was very much into telling stories Mm -hmm. and pretty much this is just a song about a broken home about families that have splintered apart and about what's seeming to be the son in the situation saying let we all need to come together the family is what's important family and that ties into just the philosophy of journey itself about it being a family about ironic and really you could almost say that it, it it's the sequel to don't stop believing because he's telling them at the end of each of the post chorus to to keep believing it's the sequel ish ish i think okay. again you can i don't think that that's official but i i don't also don't think that it's coincidence that you have two songs about believing i don't know some people are just believers you know yeah <laughs> they, they they like to just believe things i guess and then i saw her face now i'm a believer ah uh, man i was going to turn that into like a mother earth joke with the yes singer but you know it's okay <laughs> mine was better. anyway anyway yours was better i i i concede the pun uh, yeah all right okay that's a set <laughs> I, I feel like at that point we can go ahead and take another break when we come back we're gonna give our final thoughts about journey i'm very where Grant now officially lies after my hard work. So make sure you stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the cast. We just got finished our hard-rocking journey songs. Just as a reminder, those songs were Separate Ways, Worlds Apart, Chain Reaction, Be Good to Yourself, Feeling that way, anytime, and mother, father. Now it's time to give our final thoughts about Journey. So, Grant, you started off pretty much hating Journey. How has that changed? Has it changed? Where do you stand now on the scale? Well, Lucas, I hate to disappoint. I've moved down to a one. Yeah, that was that was a joke. I couldn't really contain my excitement for these songs, right? Um, and also, I just I have at least a, a one like permanent memory, permanent good memory from their music, from one of their songs that I just am annoyed by. I think that's kind of something to be weighed in the equation. Uh, and I was like, "Be good to yourself." That was a great song. Chain reaction. That was fun to listen to, right? That transition from feeling that way to any time, even though those two songs maybe are not going to be in the upper echelon of what I would consider good music. I liked the fact that they were arranged like that. I thought that the verses of both of those songs were fantastic. I thought those were the things that really stood out. You know? um, and, and of course, Mother Father being a ballad that wasn't quite the same as their other ones. And I liked that. And and I liked talking about, you know, the the history of the band. Did not like the drama. 
I don't like bands with drama, but at the same time, I, I still love Metallica and Megadeth and, and all those guys. And they have plenty <laughs> of it. So I can't really, I can't use that as an argument. Uh, Few bands are free of drama. I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't deny that like doing the album art and names in sequence like that is, is kind of smart. Um, that they've got that definitely going for them. Um, and I mean, like bands that I like, Dream Theater, right? It, it considers them to be an influence, and that's something to be weighed in, right? They have to at least be a six for me, right? At the very least, they have to be a six. From here, permanently, right? They're at least a six. Um, I don't know if I can move them to a seven because I don't know if I have enough songs to say oh yeah i want to listen to that one again and again and again right chain reaction be good to yourself i would definitely do that mother father i it's it's kind of making its way there but that's kind of it and so i really i really want to listen to that uh that ranked playlist go through go through some of those songs yeah, um, I think I think I will find some. And I was thinking, oh, I'll do Raised on Radio, but I'm I'm glad that I did the ranked playlist with uh, Judas Priest mm-hmm. um, because it it opened my eyes to all of their eras of good music. And so I think maybe if I go through the ranked playlist of Journey as well, they, they have very distinct um, eras that I'll get the good of all of them. And yeah, that's a, a good more, idea. More complete view of them as a band, then I can make a better decision. Maybe they'll move to a seven. Maybe they'll move to an eight. That's really pushing it. That's really pushing it, right? Uh, but I can see them easily going to a seven once I get to that ranked playlist. If this trend that that we've seen in this episode continues, that's going to be the natural natural uh, conclusion. So that's kind of my well. One more thing, right? Be good to yourself. On it obviously is the best of this whole set, right? That's my favorite for sure. It's just it's got the best moments, best guitar solo, best chorus, and man, those verses he just like soars on them. Great, great song. That's definitely my favorite. That's my final thought. End of final thoughts. All right, Lucas. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, I was I was pretty sure that I could do it, that I could pull it off. But then there was also a part of me that was just like, man, maybe this will be the time that I try and fail. It's happened before. It has. Hadn't happened in a long time though. And I was just, the whole set was geared towards how do I, how do I hook Grant in to journey? Cause I just, I just had this feeling that it could happen. And so I'm very happy to hear that um, that your opinion on on Journey has changed. Um, it it's helped me to further solidify my love for Journey because I I almost kind of approach their music from the perspective of someone that would be predisposed against it, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like it was almost like a reaffirmation of faith. In, in Journey, um, as well as discovering some parts of their discography I'd never really given a chance before, like those early records. 
um, found a lot of stuff in there that I was just like, man, this is really cool. And, um, I mean, yeah, it's just journey has always been a part of my musical life and I see them always being there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I would say that probably not a whole lot has changed for me, but they're also already very high on my, on my list. So, you know, it was, it was more of just, I'm very glad that, um, that this plan worked. So (laughs) my favorite song, it's really close for me between separate ways and be good to yourself. I, I think I might have to go to be good to yourself. Yes. It just has a magic to it that you can't even really quantify. Um, it's amazing the things that come to you in the shower, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I, uh, I have made a ranked playlist of everything up to Raised on Radio. I haven't gone past that just because for the sake of time, I, that's all I could fit into a week. Because I also listened through it twice to really make sure that the rankings are in the right place. Um, so I'll also mention where the songs from our previous episode landed as well. So Chain Reactions at 25, Feeling That Ways at 24, um let's see um any way you want it is at 17 uh who's crying now is at 11 mother father at 9 wheel in the sky at 8 be good to yourself at 7 lights at 6 stone in love at 4 faithfully at 3 and separate ways at 1 oh wow so don't stop believing must be 2 Maybe. Well, I guess I have to listen to the. Uh, I also didn't say what number five is. Uh, you see, that's a red herring. I think you're just trying to trip me up. <laughs> I'll send know. you. The, I'll send you the playlist so you can uh, so you can check it out. <laughs> so, if you want to listen to the top twenty-five chain reaction, is where you would start. Uh, start the chain reaction. Uh huh. Um, Harry loved Journey my four-year-old son um he can sing pretty much the entirety of separate ways nice do a video of that too because it's a (laughs) um so separate ways was definitely his favorite Mm -hmm. oh he also knew all the song all the words to chain reaction and also really got down with any time that chorus would come through and So he just all around really liked Journey, and that was that was fun. Uh, Callie picked "Be Good to Yourself." Yes. And I actually I tried to ask my dad what his favorite Journey song was, and he didn't give me a straight answer. So I don't have anything for you there. Uh-huh. But "Raised on Radio" was definitely his favorite. He's he's he has one of his all time favorite records. Good to know. Good to know. I'm telling you, if you want to, if you want to listen to a record after the list, go to Raised on Radio. Okay. Or or Escape. You're with either. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. 
check yeah, in those, next those, week and see what you think. Those were gonna be my uh, those were gonna be my plans. You actually kind of spelled them out exactly. But Good. man, I mean, we just talked a whole bunch about how Journey's great, and we're about to go uh, rip into their worst songs here in a moment for our patrons. Yes, if you wanna. <laughs> If you want to get access to the Bad Music Podcast, then uh, link in the description of the episode takes you to our Patreon page, where you will also get access to episodes early. You'll get to hear them Friday instead of Monday, which also leads me into the fact that we have episodes every Monday at midnight. Uh, next week, for those of y'all that like uh, and for those of y'all that like extreme metal, oh, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be getting heavier than we probably have been all year, with maybe the exception of Meshuga. Hmm. Um, so who could it be? Who could it be? I, guess I we'll have, have a feel. I have a feeling that you have no idea who these people are. I guess we will have to. We will have to see. You guys will have to tune in for the next episode. Yes, it's going to be fun. Even if you don't like metal, it's still going to be a really entertaining and fun episode to listen to. So make sure that you uh, come in next week for that. And uh, the best hold of us is on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, It's the best place to let us know what artists you would like for us to cover in the future. Um, we do listen to your requests, and each month we try and do an artist that you guys have picked. So um, make sure that you let us know what episodes you want to hear in the future. And then also in the description of the episode, there's a link to our Spotify playlist. Please go check out these songs. Even if you have heard them before, hearing them in this order, I promise you, you'll get something new out of it. And if you haven't heard these songs and you've made it to this point of the episode, then what are you doing? You should go check them out. <laughs> if you heard all of this and didn't check out those songs. Indeed. And then uh, make sure you hit subscribe so you know when new episodes come out and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, it helps us out a bunch. And that is it for this episode. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.